0: Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Um, I would like to talk to us today about something pretty important. Um, The thing I want to talk to us about today is something I've noticed over the past eight and a half years of uh, being here in Hong Kong. Um, It's something that a lot of us have in common, either something that you've experienced in the past. It's the thing that you are probably living in, living through right now, or something you might be living in Uh, within the future. Uh, The super important thing that I want to talk to us about today is IKEA. Um, so many of us use Ikea, whether it's their couches or, or their floating shelves or, or just their little benches or whatever units we have. It seems like everyone in Hong Kong at some point has either owned Ikea, um, has something of Ikea in their house, or has moved past that. Um, I actually dislike Ikea very much. Let me tell you. Why? It's not that their shelves aren't quality. They're fine. It's not that their beds aren't good. The frames work fine. But it's the fact that you have to assemble their products. And honestly, assembling their products takes all the strength of the Holy Spirit working in you. To build a tiny bookshelf for our living room took me about three and a half days. I exaggerate not um, and so here's the tip, something I want to give you for free, not a part of my sermon. If you go to IKEA and you decide to purchase something, be smart and ask them to assemble it for you. You'll save yourself a lot of gray hairs in the future. Um, but if you happen to be like myself and you, know, you feel like you can take on the challenge, um, just some encouragement of what you should do when you are trying to assemble an IKEA uh, set. Uh, step one, read the directions. Um, every uh, Ikea product comes with this little booklet And the booklet has step one, step two, step three To like step 15 uh, It has these little pictures on it that are kind of unhelpful But at least they're there Showing you what it should look like Arrows pointing in directions And, and these little like, tools that don't work in the real world But only work for Ikea products um, the, the, the encouragement I give you is to follow the instructions And what will happen is that you'll start to uh, build And if you're anything like me, you'll make the Mistake of thinking that after step three, ah, oh, this seems simple enough. I could you know, predict how this will go. I can put the pieces together and you'll disregard the, 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 the manual and you'll start building and you'll go crazy because you actually can't do it. Um, you have to follow IKEA's process. If you're going to build an IKEA table, if you're going to have an IKEA product, you have to follow their process. And so it means going step by step through each of the instructions and following what it says. And then and at a certain point, In that building process, you're gonna have a aha moment. You're gonna have a, oh, that's where this is going. Your adult Lego set will actually turn into a functioning wardrobe or a functioning table, and it'll all come together. You know, the, the fog will lift and it'll become clear that this is what you're actually building. But if you think about it in that process, you realize you couldn't have gotten to that end point without following those specific steps. If you skip a step, it'll drive you crazy because you can never get to that aha moment without following those steps. If you're going to build an Ikea product, you have to follow the Ikea process. And I found that the Holy Spirit works very similarly. If we're going to follow God, if we're going to live lives that are led by the Spirit, we too have to follow the Holy Spirit's process. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit because we're in a series, as Pastor Andrew just mentioned, called The Unfinished Story. A a, a series examining the book of Acts, looking at how the Spirit of God birthed the church and allowed it to grow and be sustained and become completely transformative in an environment that was hostile, full of many challenges. See, the promise from Jesus was that the church would go uh, through uh, Jerusalem and then to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as we look through the book of Acts, it's actually uh, giving us how that actually took place, the promise of Jesus being fulfilled. The gospel would reach far beyond ethnic borders and make it to all people. And you and I are living proof of that today. Um, the, the book of Acts, in essence, is about this spread of the good news. It's about evangelism. And and that's fortunate because we, as Pastor Andrew just mentioned, are are currently have discerned that God is calling us to focus on these two things, discipleship and evangelism. Now, Now, evangelism is not a new idea just for the season. It's not something that we conjured up out of creativity. It's actually something that is, drenched in scripture. It's rooted in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus tells his followers to go and make disciples of all people, uh, teaching them to observe what he has taught them. Uh, It's that concept that we build our understanding of evangelism from. For that reason, evangelism is a method of expanding the good news of who Jesus was, who he is, and what he's done. Let me put it this way. Evangelism is this. It's the partnership of God's people with God's spirit to bring those who were far off close to Christ. And that's kind of a bit of a big deal. It's, it's a crucial pillar in the Christian faith. Yet there's something about evangelism that if we're fully honest, we either ignore it or we feel uncomfortable to do it. Something about it creates this tension. you know. The idea of discipleship, we can engage in that. We can go to small group. We can talk to our friends you know, and have those conversations and be in community. But the idea of telling someone about Jesus, it kind of creeps our skin a little bit. And so I, I, I um, talked to some of our congregation members, uh, some of you, uh, one of you actually here is in this room today, um, about you know, why is it that you feel that hesitation about evangelism? Like, what is it about evangelism that just feels unnatural or just, I can't do it. I don't have the confidence to do it or the courage to do it. And I wanted to share five of the responses that I got. And my, my hope is that you uh, potentially see that this is something that a lot of us struggle with. So the first thing is this, uh, the hesitation to evangelize is because of personal rejection, the fear of being personally rejected. The second thing was this, Uh, Someone said, I don't think my story has the ability to inspire people to become Christians. It's a pretty legitimate answer. third one said this, I don't have the ability to articulate it very well. Another person said, I feel awkward talking to someone I don't know about Jesus. Let me confess, I, I feel awkward too about it. And lastly, someone said, I don't have the tools that I need to be able to do that well. And I think as we break these five thoughts down, we can find some pretty clear um, concepts, two main veins of understanding what is causing us to be hesitant in engaging in evangelism. The first thing is this. We hesitate to evangelize because we have this belief that we lack what we need. You know, we hear the word evangelism and we tell ourselves we could never do it. It's not for me because we don't think we have what we need. And I get it. Evangelism is a tall order. It's a big deal. It's this aspect of transformation. And transformation takes place when extraordinary people have these conversations. And you and I are not extraordinary people. We're pretty, pretty average people. Um, some would say small potato in a wet market. And so for that reason, evangelism is for the, the, big, the, the people who are really good at it. You think of like maybe Jackie Pollinger, she should be evangelizing, not me. Or maybe Pastor John Snellgrove, he should be evangelizing, but not me. It's not for me because we feel ordinary. And that fear and that perspective is one of the reasons we hesitate. We don't think we have what we need. We don't think we are what we need. Our second category is this. We hesitate to evangelize because we don't recognize the weight and the power of what's been given to us. Now, what has been given to us? It's the Holy Spirit. Actually, in that verse in Matthew 28, after saying, go and make disciples and evangelize people, he says, and I will be with you. A promise that he will be with us. So maybe you're right. Maybe evangelism is too heavy to do on our own. Maybe it is too much work to plan and prepare and to know all the right answers. And and maybe the people in your space aren't interested. Maybe they already have their own religion. Maybe they've told you, I don't do religion. Don't talk to me about it. But I believe this only goes to prove the point that, one, we have what we need, but we so desperately need the Holy Spirit in evangelism. It's not something that just you and I can do. But it's our partnership with him. He guides and provides, and we follow his leading in that space. See, evangelism is a work of the Holy Spirit, and we get to partner with him in what he's doing. We have the right tools. We actually have what it takes. All of us have the ability to engage in evangelism and watch God transform lives. You don't have to be someone special. You just have to be you. And I think this is a tension worth wrestling with because evangelism isn't a suggestion. It's not, there's no asterisk next to it. Like it's a part of what we're called to do. There are no exemption forms for that. Like as a Christian, it's a part of who you are. It's in your DNA. The way God has created you is to be able to share and pull people into a relationship with him, ushering people into that intimate knowledge of Jesus, because there's a way God has designed evangelism for all of us to be able to take part in it and do it well. The scriptures give remarkable examples, and today as we continue our study in Acts, we'll look at Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 21, and we'll see in this text one incredible example of how the Spirit can work. Are you guys with me? All right, let's turn to our Bibles. If you have your Bible, you can open it. If not, uh, it will be here on the screen. Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 21. It says this, but an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Keep that in mind. That'll be important later on. And so he rose and he went. And behold, an Ethiopian, A eunuch, a minister of the Candace, queen of Ethiopia, Ethiopians, in charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he, the eunuch, said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage he was reading um, was this: As a sheep led to the slaughter, or a lamb before its shear is dumb, so he opens not his mouth, and in his humiliation justice was denied to him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken up from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom does this prophet say this? Is it about himself? Or is it about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What is to prevent my being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught up Philip. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Uh, this is a pretty long but intense story. It has a lot of things happening in it. And I think as we actually look at this story, it, it exemplifies one of the ways God, through his spirit, will work in evangelism. We see here that it's a combination of the Holy Spirit's work, uh, the Christ follower, and a relentless obedience that ends up radically transforming the life of this random Ethiopian man on his way back home. This isn't the only way that evangelism can take place, but it is one of the ways that the Spirit tends to work and partner with us ordinary people into extraordinary life-changing moments. Now, this story is oftentimes referred to as Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch. It's kind of interesting because when we look at this story, the first big pillar of evangelism that we see is that this story has very little to do with Philip. Right? We see that evangelism is this. It's a work of the Spirit. If we were to examine the passage, looking back at verse 26, uh, Philip is simply directed to go. Philip doesn't come up with the idea on his own. No, he is following instructions. The Spirit instigates... It leads and it directs. And we can see the Spirit giving directions and Philip responding to those directions. Philip is told to go and he does just that. Now, I think of you and me, and maybe more me than you. If I was in this space, what I would do? Um, if the Spirit told me to go to some random location on a desert road, I'd have some questions. I'd, I'd first of all I'd want to know how long it's going to take. What are, what are we doing? Um, who's going to be there? I'd have so many. Is it a sleepover? Do I need to bring my stuff? Like, There's so many questions that would be running through my mind. But if we look at this story, um, we notice two key things here. Philip isn't given any of that. He's not given the game plan. The next five steps aren't laid out in front of him. It's just one. It's just go. And the second thing is this. Even though he's not given any of that, it doesn't hinder his obedience. Well, that's the that's kind of faith. That's the kind of trust. It's, there is this kind of trusting a kind of faith that, uh, that follows God no matter where he's going to lead. If we look again at verse 29, just pushing this point a little further. The Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay next to it. What we have there is more instructions and more obedience. And actually, it's not as simple as you would think. Um, in this case, He's in the desert road. He's already followed the Spirit, and he ends up in this location. The Spirit says, there's a chariot. Go go to the chariot. It's not as simple as go. Um, just a little bit of uh, extra knowledge for you. Chariots have wheels, and humans have legs. One is faster than the other. Actually, the text says, so Philip ran to him. Philip chased a chariot, not knowing what for, in the middle of the desert. By most of our logic, that would seem extremely silly. I would say, by a lot of the times, that would seem like something we wouldn't want to engage in without understanding what it is that God is calling us to do. But there is this kind of faith that follows no matter where it leads. And in that, Philip chases behind this chariot. We don't know for how long, it could have been three kilometers, it could have been for a couple seconds but he chases after it. And in his chasing, he overhears that someone is reading something that's familiar to him. He overhears the passage from the prophet Isaiah being read and that, oh, okay, that, aha, this is what is happening moment hits him, the fog lifts and it becomes clear that the spirit had actually set Philip up for the win. It's clear for what purpose now that Philip had been brought to this location. And he realizes as he engages in conversation with this Ethiopian eunuch and ends up coming up to the top of the chariot and and sharing Jesus with him, that actually he could have never had that opportunity. He could have never been able to utilize that time in that way had he not been obedient following steps one and step two. See, the spirit had already been setting up the scene for Philip. The Spirit was working and preparing long before uh, Philip even got into that situation. I mean, think about how perfect the timing would have to be. The day, the time, the running pace, the reading pace, all of those things would have to just line up for this perfect moment. I mean, what are the chances he's reading a passage that Philip knows very well? Like, that's just crazy talk. But somehow all those things, all those miraculous big things that could have never been done by Philip are being done. And he's being led into a place where he can do certain things. Some some, uh, theologians would say this. There proves to be a great deal of groundwork already accomplished in the eunuch's life so that he was ready to receive the message Philip would disclose to him from the scriptures. This is all by design. See, God is working and moving and setting scenes and preparing situations for us all to step into. It wasn't random. It wasn't accidental. It wasn't by chance. See, God is doing, listen to the statement. I'll say it twice because it's a little tricky. God is doing what we can't do so that we can do what we can do. One more time. God is doing the very things, the arranging the timing and getting the chariot to go at this pace and getting you know the location to work, all the things that were outside of his control. God is doing those things before Philip so that Philip can just do what he can do. Can you do what you can do? Because if you can, then you can partner with what God is calling us into. The spirit was there before Philip. He would be there with Philip in his evangelistic effort and the spirit would remain long after Philip had left. Looking into this story, I actually find it very interesting as well. I told you, take note of the location they were in. right? As Luke writes that they were in a desert road, so going from Jerusalem to Gaza on a desert road. Um, There's a detail in here that doesn't really fit the normal characteristics of a desert road. A pool. When you think of deserts, I would hope that many of you don't think of water being very common. And somehow, as they're going on this extremely dry desert road in the middle of the desert, somehow it lines up that right as he understands who Jesus is and that that revelation takes place for him, that he's like, oh, look, there happens to be water right there. Philip could have never orchestrated that. Another example of how the Spirit is working, preparing, leading, and guiding, and directing them. And it's not just something that happens to Philip, it's something that'll happen to us as we too engage in evangelism. We don't have to do all these big things. We just have to do the one thing. The Spirit never will never lose control of our evangelistic situation. He shows us that. Everything that Philip needed was pretty much served up on a silver platter. He had to run. I don't like running, so that have been hard for me. But he had to run. But everything was there. He just had to be willing to be obedient. And because the Spirit will never lose control of any situation in our evangelistic efforts, it doesn't matter what our resume is. It doesn't matter how much training we might have had in the past or how much training we think we need or being able to have a rebuttal about every um, conversation about faith. You don't have to know all the answers. Actually, think about Philip, for instance. What's his resume? Does anyone know who Philip was? He's not Peter. He's not John. He's not Paul. It's not any of the big names that we would think of. No, Peter, we know who that guy was. Like if this was a story about him, it'd be like, okay, maybe I should be like a Peter, someone who can preach a sermon and 3,000 people immediately become a part of the church. That's not his story. Philip's background is... Very little and unknown. Actually, the one thing that we do know about Philip is, is this. When the, when the disciples were, uh, and the church had grown and they were finding ways to go and, and preach the good news and they were still trying to meet the needs of people, they had their frontline guys who would go and preach. And I think the, uh, in the, the text it says, he was left to waiting tables. He was an admin. He was a normal guy. Nothing special. And if you feel like that's who you are as well, then that must be good news because it doesn't require you to be someone special. He was average. He was not a Christian Avenger. He was a normal dude. And it's great because in that case, we learned that the only credentials that were needed were a love for Jesus and and a willingness to follow the Spirit's leading. That's really all it takes. Like, what if God isn't looking for for you to be the best at this or the best at that? What if he's just looking for those who love him and those who are willing to follow him? And and then what if our concerns when it came to evangelism was less about how skilled we were at answering questions and more about how available we were, how willing we were to follow without the whole picture painted for us, to love God and to follow him? See, this is a massive moment in church history as it seems like it's a random person that Philip is having a conversation with. But he show, God is showing us through his spirit that he will use all of us, any of us. And maybe you're here today and you're, the thing that holds you back is your qualification, or you don't have the big name, or you don't have the seminary degree. Here's the thing. If, if we become crippled by that, then, then we end up avoiding and staying out of the very thing, counting ourselves out of the very thing that God has actually created you to do. The very thing that you're capable of being a part of how God transforms lives. It's an exciting way to live. Like, don't count yourself out from that. Like This story shows us that God wants to use you as well. And because evangelism is a work of the spirit, we aren't ever going to find ourselves evangelizing to someone who the spirit isn't already working on, where the spirit hasn't, you won't be the first one there. You can trust that God has already been working in that person's life. So yes, if we don't see evangelism correctly, it'll feel too big, it'll feel impossible, it'll feel like it's too much weight to carry. But when we see it in the right light, we see that evangelism is collaboration. It's a group project. I used to hate group projects, but well, this kind of group project is the group project where your partner is the teacher. That's a good group project. That's set up for the win. Like that's what he's calling us into. It's not something we have to fear. Setting us up to be able to join in what he's doing. He prompts our spirit and we simply follow, knowing that the results, knowing that the resources, the things that we need, the answers that we think we need, that will all be provided by and through him. This is how he operates. This, this whole story about Philip, about evangelism, there, there's, there's a third angle that I want us to take a look at. There's a third person in this story that we haven't talked too much about. And it's this Ethiopian eunuch. I think as we look into him, we actually get our minds blown about what is actually happening. This isn't just a random occurrence on a desert road. So let's dive into this. The first thing we need to know about this guy is that he's Ethiopian, he's African, AKA he's not Jewish, right? He is not, he's not of the same ethnicity. Up until this point, Christianity or Judaism, Yahweh God was only for those people. He was only been available for the people within this ethnic group. And what the, the promise of, of the Great Commission is that it's going beyond just the Jews. It's going beyond just Jewish people, just one ethnicity. But God would be available to all people. And actually, anyone sitting in this room that is Christian and not of Jewish heritage is a living proof of that promise. So this Ethiopian is not you know, the, the target person that you would think of to become a Christian. Jesus said that it would spread from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And this is our actual first example of that happening in Scripture. This Ethiopian becomes a representation of what God is planning to do throughout the entire world. It's like this God of Israel has now made himself available to all people. See, what we saw happen in Acts 2 was more than just a moment of speaking in tongues. It was the outpouring of God's very own spirit. It was the bringing of the good news uh, to all people. God took away this idea that his presence only lives in a temple. And instead, he put his spirit in people like you and like me. So we became the temple, the temple that could go to people. It's a changing of the centralization that we might have seen in the Tower of Babel story. It's actually, it's God spreading it out. He's giving himself to all people. This changes the way that we see the kingdom of God. And this story is the first practical expression of that. The first non-Jewish person to be encountered with the gospel. And and there's actually a double whammy here. I really love this. It's not just about, you know, he's Ethiopian. So that's one of the barriers, but this poor guy had multiple barriers. He's Ethiopian and he's also a eunuch. Uh, He has a physical deformity based off of his position being super close and working with the queen of a country. So by those two things, he would have not been easily permitted into the, the temple the religious structure of the day, the way that they would have operated would have not allowed him as an unclean man to come into the temple. So it didn't matter what he did. And he had traveled because he's going to Jerusalem as the story tells us. So he's traveled from Ethiopia, hundreds of miles across a desert to find God, only to be shut down by the institution. And he's reached for God, not been able to find him because of his deformity and because he is not Jewish. He could not make it into the inner temple. So actually, as we look at this, what we see is not just a random Philip showing up to a random person in the desert. This is someone who had put forth effort, who had purchased a scroll, who had come to worship Yahweh, had been denied that. And God didn't miss that. No, God saw that this man was unable to reach him. And so what God did, and what evangelism looks like a lot of times, is God reaching that man. In the desert, on his way out, God sends us to reach those who have a hard time reaching him. This man is not someone that Philip would have naturally thought would be a good candidate for the gospel because of those things. When we think about Philip's position, his understanding would have never thought, okay, this is the perfect candidate. Probably would have thought someone else would be that. And I wonder how, often we find ourselves in similar boats. Like, are there people in our lives who, maybe for good reason, we've deemed unlikely recipients of the gospel? Maybe they have their own religion already. Maybe they've declared that they're atheists and they don't care about God. Maybe they're just very focused on making money, don't really want friends or anything. But are there people in our lives that we've, maybe for good reason, thought they're not the right recipients? Because it seems like It's the people that we would naturally count out, the people that we would naturally think, "Eh, maybe that's not where God's going, that he's actually chasing after. He is sending us to. See, God's plan exceeds what we think is possible, who we think might be interested, who we might have ruled out. God is calling all of those people to himself because, get this, the gospel is for all people. And so... Where's the grace? What do we take away from this? What do we hold on to? For me, when I read this passage and I studied it, I found great encouragement. Because I too, if I'm being fully honest, am hesitant in evangelism. It doesn't come naturally for me. I don't have those skill sets. But I've learned that I don't have to. I don't have to be the best this or that. And my prayer is that for you to find that same reality. I think what we take away from this is that God doesn't need for you to be great for him. He just needs you to follow him. And in that obedience, he will make you into someone great. He will cause you to do things that you actually realize you could have never done on your own. And that simply is because evangelism is a work of the spirit that you and I are invited into partnering into. So all who love and follow Christ are qualified that's you, that's me, that's any of us. If we will follow, he will lead us. Now, it it's, reminds me of that silly example I gave at the beginning of the sermon about Ikea. Uh, the reality is you don't have to be an engineer, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, although sometimes it feels like it, to assemble a piece of Ikea furniture. It doesn't require all the degrees in the world and all the carpentry skills, but it does require you to have the ability to follow the instructions. I think God is calling us to be people who choose to follow. Evangelism is that. It's an invitation to walk and work closely with God. He invites us. We follow. We learn about him. He transforms the way that we see and love people so that we don't see them and love them naturally, but we see them and love them supernaturally. We see them the way he sees them. And we begin to to love them the way that he loves them. This story challenged my fears because it doesn't matter what I do or who I am. I can still be a part of what God is doing. And, And maybe evangelism is simply that, putting ourselves in a position to follow God's spirit and to rely on him. Maybe that's what it's all about us partnering with the supernatural God to do what could never be done, leading to lives transformed, leading to people meeting Jesus. And the things that stand to hinder us, the things that we see as obstacles, the things that cause the fear in our hearts are merely distortions of reality. As we sit with this, I want to give us three specific ways that we can pray. Three specific ways that we can ask God to, to strengthen and help us. And I think maybe all three of these won't be for you, but, but I think at least one of them will hit something in how you engage in this following God closely and, and loving our neighbors through evangelism. So the first thing is this. I think we pray for God to help us see clearly. It starts with what we see. May we recognize that first and foremost, we've been given everything that we need The spirit of God dwelling inside of you makes you more than enough. You can do it. May we recognize that evangelism is more about his work and our partnership. We don't have to possess the right skills. May we recognize the depth and the weight of the power of the Holy Spirit in us to reach those who do not know Jesus. We haven't been given like a, like a limited version of the Holy Spirit or like a downgraded version or the beta version. We've been given the whole thing inside of us, that same spirit that raises Christ from the dead inside of you and inside of me. A second prayer is this, a prayer for guidance to follow. The story was Philip being guided by the Spirit of God. And I think for some of us, That's exactly what we need, to be able to hear God, to be able to be guided by him into those situations, to be able to hear him and and then be able to respond. God guided Philip and God can still and still does guide you and me beyond where our strengths are, beyond where our current level of faith lies, beyond the obstacles and beyond the fears, God can guide you into chasing chariots. The third thing is this. We pray for confidence to act, that we may boldly engage with unlikely candidates for the gospel in our social circles, in our work circles, knowing that there's a different way that God sees it, that there's a work that God is already doing, and we can be a part of that transformation. That's what evangelism is. I I feel like there might be people here today or people watching who would look at this story and say, I don't have that courage. I don't have that ability. I don't believe God's holding out on us. I think he wants us to be able to do the same. And So our prayer today in this space is on how can we also, God, how can we also be confident to act when your spirit leads us? So as the band comes back up, let me just tell you that he wants to unleash a level of new faith in our lives, a level of love for our neighbor that surpasses where we are right now. He wants to get us to a place where we hear him well, where we respond confidently and boldly to his promptings. One of the prayers we might even pray is, God, I just wanna know your presence more. I wanna be able to hear and be aware of what your spirit is doing and working around me. Give me faith to, to follow you and to have a deepening trust in you and extend my love for my neighbor. Help me to love them like you love them. And so if you will, let's go ahead and stand this morning. And and God, we come before you knowing the power of the God of the scriptures, knowing that he is still powerful, that your mission to bring and call all men, draw all men to yourself is still the same today. And God, as we see this example of Philip's story, God, would you start to speak to our hearts? Will you start to soften our hearts? Will you show us the ways in which you are drawing us into these relationships, into these conversations, into these spaces of just listening to our neighbor? God, we know that you desire for all to know you. And God, I pray that you start by breaking our hearts to be the same. God, would you show us the things that may be right in front of us, but that we don't see? God, the big opportunities, and God, what we might see is the small opportunities. Will you open our eyes to see that? Will you you speak to us, Lord? We ask for your spirit to speak, to lead, and to guide us beyond what we're capable of doing so that we can also participate in the extraordinary things. Beyond where our faith is now, growing our faith in you. Beyond where our fears might hold us to. God, we ask for guidance and we ask that you give us the courage to follow you. The courage to step out. The boldness to see our neighbors differently. A boldness to have a broken heart for your gospel and for your people. As you minister to us now, I pray that you remind us, bring up some images, some, some names, some people that we are constantly around who you've already began a work in. Help us to be willing to chase chariots if it means they will come to know you. We thank you for your spirit, for your guidance and all of this. We thank you that you empower us and give us the strength that we need for today and for tomorrow. We know it's in your hands and we keep it there. Thank you for these things.